Good morning, y'all. I am genuinely very happy to be here with you today and to be sharing the word. Uh, we're going to start today's sermon with, with a few lines, a small excerpt from uh, one of my favorite poets. He's a Philadelphian poet named Shai Lin, and, and he writes this. We're cursed from our birth, sinning from the beginning, the womb to the tomb, depraved to the grave. Astray every day, every breath brings death. In Adam, all die. In Adam, all die. If there is one thing that is fundamentally true of the human experience, uh, it is that one day we're going to die. Every human that is conceived, one day will meet death. I bet there's... Almost nobody in this room today who hasn't been touched by death in some way, shape, or form, especially after these last couple years, right? I've been to funerals of people who live long, fulfilled lives, and it feels more like a celebration. And I've been to funerals where the casket is the size of this music stand, and a child died before he took his first breath. Every human being that has ever existed either has already or will eventually die. This is a fact of life. And we understand this, so as humans, we do our best to prepare for it, right? When we're older, we start to uh, talk to our kids and our grandkids about it, try to prepare them for what's coming. I can't tell you how many uncomfortable conversations I've sat through with my grandmother where she's telling, walking me through where the dress that she wants to be buried in is in in her closet, what jewelry she wants to be wearing, right? She's trying to prepare us for the inevitable, inevitable fact. When we see it coming, when we see it getting near, we start to talk to our children, to the young ones about it. It's a very difficult conversation to have. It's a very con a hard concept to grasp. So we work hard to prepare the kids for it, right? That somebody who you love, somebody who you see, somebody who loves you, who you care about, one day you're just not going to see them anymore. We make songs about it. We make movies about it. We prepare ourselves as often as we can. But even with all of that and with thousands and thousands of years of human death, we're never really okay with it. We've never gotten to a place where it's just another thing that happens. It always hurts. It rips at us. It knocks the wind out of us. Because of it, we experience grief and depression and anger and denial. Why is it that humans haven't come to accept death if it's such a fundamental part of our existence? Well, what if I told you that death was not intended to be part of the human experience? And what if I told you that when God created Adam and Eve, death was nowhere in the equation? And what if I told you that there was a way to reverse it, a way to ultimately escape the death that seemingly comes for us all? This is what we're going to talk about today as we continue through the Gospel of Luke Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the opportunity to be here together discussing your word, learning your word. We ask that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us today. Make us quick to learn. Let your word be planted uh, deep in our hearts that it may produce fruit. God, I pray that you would anoint me as I speak your word. Let not my words be spoken, but yours to your people today. Amen. If you can turn with me on your service sheet or in your Bible, we're going we're gonna to read the scripture today. We're going to be reading from Luke 3, starting at verse 21, going all the way through verse 38. Now, just fair warning, if you've looked at the scripture, you see it's a genealogy passage. I'm going to skip a good chunk in the middle uh, because... It's not going to benefit anybody to hear me mispronounce a bunch of Hebrew names, so we're going to skip a nice little chunk in the middle and get the idea of what's going on. Starting at verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended, upon, descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of, son of Esli, the son of Nagai, all the way down to verse 37 now. The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, I know this is a portion of scripture that most of us would typically skip while we're reading. Guilty myself. If I don't skip it, I'm breezing right through it, stumbling over a bunch of names that I can't really pronounce. But Luke is actually showing us something really important here. This is the reintroduction of Jesus to the gospel of Luke, right? The last section of Luke was focused on John the Baptist, and Luke laid out what John the Baptist's ministry was, but he made it clear that John was not the Messiah. And the last time we saw Jesus in the book of Luke, he was a child. He was a boy in the temple. And so as, as Luke reintroduces Jesus to the story, we see two main things about him. The first thing we see is that he is the son of God. Right? Luke fills us in on this incredible moment that happened. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And it says after he was baptized and was praying that the heavens opened up, that the spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice from heaven came and said audibly, this is you are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased for a moment on earth. The Trinity is existing together for people to see and experience the way that they've existed in eternity for all time, right? This is an incredible moment. And what's happening here is God is saying, God is reestablishing that Jesus is his son. This isn't the first time that this has been said in the book of Luke. It was said when the angel made the announcement to Mary 
It said that her son would be the son of the Most High. It was said by Jesus himself when he was in the temple and his parents came looking for him and said, where were you? He said, did you not know I would be in my father's house? So this isn't a new idea in Luke, but what's happening here is now it's being said not by an angel and not by Jesus, but by God himself. Luke wants to make sure we understand this is no ordinary man, but this is indeed the son of God. And after showing us that he's the son of God, Luke then proceeds to map out the earthly lineage of Jesus. He goes through Jesus' earthly ancestry, starting from Jesus, going all the way back to Adam, to the first man created, who he calls the son of God. Think about that for a second. Isn't it interesting that right after establishing Jesus as the son of God, he would lay out this long earthly ancestry and end at Adam, who he also calls the son of God. Why would Luke go through the painstaking task of making this connection? Understand that this wasn't easy, light work. He wasn't sitting at a computer just typing in names. There was no Ancestry.com. He didn't get a swab of Jesus' DNA, send it to the lab, and kick back waiting for the results. He would have had to be digging through historical records, digging, doing a ton of hard manual research to be able to draw this path from Jesus to Adam. Before he lays out any miracle that Jesus did, before he tells us about any sermon that Jesus preached, Luke finds it essential for us to know that Jesus has a direct connection to Adam. And so today we're going to take Luke's prompt we're going to pause. We're going to take a look back at where humanity was, where humanity started at, so that we could better understand Jesus and the ministry that he came to perform. And so to better understand this connection, we're going to be spending some time in Romans, specifically Romans 5, 12 through 20. I'll give you a second to turn there or tap there. Back in the day when you were waiting for people to turn to a scripture, you would hear the pages, and that's how you knew when everybody was there. We don't have a good uh, symbol like that now, so I'll just give you another five seconds. And we're going to read from Romans 5, first 12 through 14. Uh, I'm reading this from the New Living Translation, the NLT. Starting at verse 12, Paul writes, when Adam, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit, an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. And we're going to pause there. What Paul is telling us here in these first two verses is that in Adam, we all have an inheritance. In Adam, we all inherit death or in other words, in Adam, all die. 
It's all, I should have just let that read it for me. It's getting through it a lot smoother than I did. In Adam, all die. And so if you're not familiar, Adam was the first man. He was created to live in constant harmony and connection with God. But he disobeys God's command and he severs their relationship. He drives a wedge between him and God through his sin. You see, Adam disobeyed God blatantly. And because of his disobedience, Paul tells us that sin entered the world. When Adam was in the garden, God gave him an explicit command. He said, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is found in Genesis. It's, it's, it's a very common story that's told. Even if you've never been to church, you've probably heard some version of this. Right. But the, serp, the, the, the devil disguised as a serpent goes to Eve and says, did God really say you would die? Why don't you just try the fruit? And Eve falls into the temptation and eats of the fruit. And then she brings it to her husband, Adam. He also falls to the temptation and eats of the fruit that God said they should not eat from. And Paul shows us that because of that sin, sin entered the world because of that moment. This is the origin story of our sin nature. It maps back to this exact moment in time. This is the reason that no matter how hard you try, you can never fully obey the law of God. This is the reason that no matter how hard you try, you can never do perfectly even the good things that you think you should do. And it's the reason why so many of the things you hate, so many of the things you think are evil and bad and wicked, you still find yourself doing. This is the reason that Paul wrote, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. It's because of this moment in the garden. This is when our sin nature was introduced that we will wrestle with for all of our earthly lives. It's the birth of our greed and our lust and our hate and our envy. And it's not just Adam's sin. Right? Paul said, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. We are much closer to Adam than we think. It's easy to read these stories in the Bible and look at scripture and judge the people that we're seeing there, right? It's easy to read about Adam eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and be like, son, why? You played yourself. You had every fruit that you could possibly want. Why you couldn't just leave this one alone? If I was Adam, if I was in the garden, I'd have went and found some papayas. <laughs> papayas are popping. And they're hard to find out here. You got to know where to go to look for them to get a good papaya. Right? I'd have found a mango tree. I'd have, I'd have found some watermelon, right? I'd have found another fruit. Plenty of options, Adam, why you had to eat from that fruit. But the truth of the matter is our condemnation is just. We break God's command constantly just like Adam did. Right? God's law says you shall not murder. Right? Most of us in the room could probably check that off. But Jesus expands it and says if you hate somebody in your heart, 
That's the same as murdering them. And I don't know if any of us could check off that box. I don't know if any of us have lived life without feeling hatred towards somebody else. God's law says you shall not covet. But we sit on Instagram all day coveting houses and families and jobs and following and kids and dogs. Wanting what we don't have, not being content with what God has provided for us. God's law says you shall serve the Lord your God above anything else. You shall not have idols. But we sit with little idols in our pockets and mount it up on our walls and we give our attention and devotion and push God to the back of the line. The end of the day, if I have energy, when I get there, I'll spend some time with God. But as soon as I wake up, I'm spending some time on my phone. We break God's law constantly and consistently. We are just like our forefather, Adam, and our condemnation is just. This is how sin entered the world. But Paul shows us here that sin wasn't the end result of Adam's sin. Sin wasn't the result in and of itself. Paul says that Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone. So the consequence of sin wasn't sin. The consequence of sin was death. And so every funeral you've ever been to, every time you've ever cried and felt grief at the loss of somebody, points back to this moment in time when Adam sinned, and because of Adam's sin entering the world, so death entered the world through sin. And to be clear, we're not just talking physical death here, but we're talking a spiritual death as well. Adam lived in the garden. Adam and Eve were created to be in the garden in constant harmony and constant communion with God. But when he sinned, he was expelled from the garden. God had to kick him out of the garden. And when Adam exited the garden of Eden that God created for man to live in communion with him, he took all of us with him. We all walked out that garden with Adam on that day. We all suffer because of Adam's sin, a, not only a physical death, but a spiritual death, a disconnection from God. None of us are exempt from it. And this wasn't our intended design. This wasn't what God intended when he created humanity, when he created Adam and Eve, but this is the state that we're in. By birth, we are all found in Adam. It's not a choice we can make. He is our first forefather. We are in Adam by birth, and our birthright is death. And so the stakes are incredibly high, and humanity is hopelessly lost. And this is the legacy that Adam leaves. The first son of God, Adam, doomed his entire race and nobody is able to get themselves out of it. This is the situation of humanity. This is the problem that humanity has had from the time of Adam to the time of Jesus. 
And so now with that backdrop of understanding, let's look forward again to Jesus. Now that we understand where Adam left us, where Adam got us, let's look now to Jesus, his reintroduction to Jesus, the Son of God, to Jesus, the second Adam, to Jesus, the greater Adam. Let's continue in Romans. Now, Adam is a symbol a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's sin brought condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. What a beautiful way to outline the gospel of Jesus Paul gives us. Paul says that Adam was a type of the one to come. He was a representation of Jesus. And this is the connection between Jesus, the son of God, and Adam, the son of God. This is why it was important for Luke to draw the genealogy all the way back to Adam. In the same way the actions of one man broke creation, the actions of one man would put it back together. This is why Jesus came. This was Jesus' ministry. And as we continue to read the, 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 the ministry of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, this is the lens we should be looking at it through. Jesus came to make right everything that Adam made wrong. Let's look at some of the ways uh, Paul contrasts the acts of Adam to the acts of Jesus. He says, through Adam, many died, but through Jesus, many have forgiveness. Through Adam, death reigned, but through Jesus, we triumph over sin and death. Adam's trespass led to condemnation for all men. But Jesus' righteousness brings justification and life for all men. Adam's disobedience made sinners out of us all. But Jesus' obedience makes us righteous. In Adam, sin reigns in death. But in Jesus, grace reigns in righteousness leading to eternal life. And so Jesus, the Son of God, made right everything that Adam, the Son of God, made wrong. 
Adam turns the world upside down and Jesus flips it right side up again. And this gives us a way out. This reverses the curse of death that hangs over all of us. And there's no other way we can be made right with God. There's no other way we can escape from the spiritual death. There's no other way we can be reconnected to God. But through the work of Jesus, Jesus takes us from death to life. This is the work of the cross. We are all in Adam by birth with death as our birthright. But Jesus offers us a new birth that places us in him and leads to eternal life. This is why when he was speaking to Nicodemus and Nicodemus asked him, how do I inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus tells him, you must be born again. This new birth is the only way we get away from the inheritance that Adam left us and receive the inheritance we have in Jesus. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And so the question for everybody in this room today, for anybody listening online, is what is your inheritance If you're listening to this sermon and you haven't yet experienced this new birth that Jesus promises, that Jesus offers, if you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, if you're still walking under the burden, under the crushing weight of sin and death that Adam leaves for us as an inheritance, then this is the invitation that Jesus makes for you today to be born again, to receive new life in him, a new inheritance that is unperishable, that he keeps for us. And if that's you and you're curious about what that means or you want to take this next step, there's going to be people at the end of the sermon on the side here that would love to talk with you and pray with you and walk through that with you. But to those of us in the room who have experienced this new life, to those of us in the room who are in Jesus, who are no longer found in Adam, but we've been brought from death to life and are now found in Jesus, we've experienced this new birth and this new life. And the question for us is, what should that mean for our day-to-day -day lives? What should that mean for you today? and yesterday, and tomorrow. Consider this example. Imagine for a moment that when you woke up tomorrow, you got a call from a lawyer, and you were informed that you had some distant relative you, you knew nothing about. You never heard of this person, but you somehow related to them. You never met them, and they have millions and millions of dollars. And as they were filling out their will, you so happened to be their next of kin. You so happened to be the next person in line. And all of a sudden, you're made aware that you have this inheritance of millions and millions of dollars that you did not have the day before. Take a second, consider this scenario. Don't consider it too long, because reality might be a little extra bitter after that. 
Don't go too deep into the thought exercise. But what would that mean for the way you lived your life from that moment on? I'll tell you what it would mean for me. It would change absolutely everything about me almost immediately. It would change the places I go to buy clothes. You would not catch me in an H&M again. H&M is great right now. If I had millions and millions of dollars, it'd be different. It would change the places I buy my food. I'll tell you without a shadow of a doubt, no question, you would never see me set foot in another sea town again. I would never walk through those automatic doors of Stop and Shop. Not a day in my life from that moment on, it'd be Trader Joe's and Whole Foods exclusively. It would change the way I think about money. It would change how much I save. It would change how much I spend. It would change how much I give away. Everything about my life would change. It would change the car I drive. I'd be in the dealership ready to sign for that 2021-2022 Toyota Sienna. I know that's probably not everybody's dream car. <laughs> but I'm fully committed to the soccer dad life. And that is top of the line. You can't get a better minivan than the 2021 Toyota Sienna. I'll be in that joint the next day. The Hunter Green color is whoo. It's on my wish list. But y'all would not recognize me. Everything about my life would be completely different. Most of us would quit our jobs that moment. We send in an email like, y'all never going to see me again. It was nice knowing you. Or maybe it wasn't. But either way, have a good life. And if you didn't quit your job, it would change the way how stressed you got about it on a day-to-day. -day. You're like, I don't need this job. You're not talking nice to me. I'm going to go somewhere else. It would change everything immediately. And if this is the truth for a physical inheritance that one day is going to perish, one day is going to fade away, one day you're going to die and you can't take it with you and it's going to be somebody else's. If this is true of that type of inheritance, then why in the world would a spiritual inheritance of eternal life only change the way you live for two hours on a Sunday morning? Why would it only change the way you act from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on a Sunday? And if we're being honest, sometimes not even that long. Paul puts it this way in Romans. He says, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? When we receive this new inheritance, we're receiving a new life. And if we're receiving a new life, that means our old life has passed away. And so if your life pre-Jesus, pre this new inheritance, pre this new life, looks really close to your life post-Jesus, post this new inheritance, post this new life, then beloved, you're doing something wrong. That's a red flag. That should not be the case. Everything about our lives would change. But so often we choose to live like we haven't received this new inheritance. So often we choose to live like we're still in Adam and our only inheritance is still sin and death. And to be clear, we're not talking legalism. 
right? I said earlier, we're going to wrestle with our sin nature. That part of the inheritance is with us until the day we die. And so we're never going to fully overcome sin, but what we're talking about is your pursuit. What we're talking about is the direction of your life. Everything about your life should be directed towards obedience to God the way that Jesus modeled. But if we're being honest, sometimes our life is more directed towards self-indulgence, like our father Adam. Towards looking at God and saying, God, I know you say this is not good for me, but actually... I think you're wrong, but actually, I think you're holding out, but actually, I think I know better, and I'll do it my own way. And your life doesn't change because you're trying to receive this inheritance. That's not what it is. You're not trying to be good enough to earn it. That's also a futile attempt. But your life changes because you've already received the inheritance, because it is already yours in Jesus. And from that moment, the rest of your earthly life is trying to align with that new inheritance until Jesus returns and we fully receive what he has for us. Beloved, our lives should be steeped in prayer should be steeped in scripture reading, should be steeped in self-denial, should be steeped in serving others, should be steeped in love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, should be steeped in loving your neighbor as yourself. This is what it looks like to live with a new inheritance, and this is what Jesus has provided for us. And so as we close and the band makes their way back up, if you are not yet in Christ and you want to experience this new birth or you want to talk to somebody more about what that means, then join us on the side as we, as we stand to, to pray with you and talk with you. And beloved, if you are in Christ, if you've received the inheritance of eternal life, then pursue a life that reflects that. Put aside your life in Adam and reflect the new life that you've been given, an eternal life with God, triumph over sin and death. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in Jesus we escape the inheritance left to us from Adam that in Jesus we escape death and we escape spiritual death and we receive eternal life in you. Holy Spirit, help us to live lives that reflect our new inheritance. Help us to live lives that pursue obedience to you because of the inheritance that you've already given. We thank you, Father. Amen.